Well, I am excited this morning. We're going to have some fun this morning. Yeah, Bobby just volunteered. Uh-oh. <laughs> Before we get started, let's just pray over the word this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for the time, the opportunity to be here to, to share your word. Lord, to minister your word. Lord, I pray right now that the words that are spoken aren't my words, but your words. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Lord, that it would reach deep into the hearts of those who are here. Lord, as we, be, as we continue talking about the armor of God, that it would continue to dig deep into the hearts of those who are here, Lord, that, that it would settle like a seed and grow and flourish. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're continuing our series on spiritual warfare. Are you ready for the battle? We talked about last week, we talked about some of the different armor that we have. How many remember the armor that we talked about last week? We didn't talk about the shield. We're going to be going over that now, but that's okay. Ephesians 6, 10, verse, uh, 6, 6, 10 through 17 says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the, of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, go to the next one. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Remember we talked about that? Girding your waist with truth. What did that mean? Girding your waist. That they had a long tunic and they would put it between their legs and they would wrap it around and they would secure it with a belt. And that was girding your waist or girding your loins with truth. What does that mean? That, that in your Christian experience, it's important that you have right doctrine, that you have correct biblical teaching. That's what it means to gird your loins with truth. So we talked about girding your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. How many remember, what does the breastplate cover? Your heart. It covers your heart. The enemy is going to try to constantly shoot darts at your heart. The breastplate of righteousness. And then we talked about having your feet shod, or having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. How many remember what shod your feet means? Just means put on some shoes, put on some sandals. Nobody wants to see your bare feet. Having your, well, Eric, anybody want to see your bare feet? No? Nobody wants to see my bare feet. <laughs> having your feet shod. Putting on the shoes, the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that's what we talked about last week. This week, we want to go a little bit further. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This morning, I want to talk to you about two of the three things. So there's the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit. Next week, we're going to go into the helmet of salvation. This week, I want to focus a bit on the sword of the Spirit and on the shield of faith. Is that okay with you guys? So we talked about the first part of the armor. Up until now, listen, I, I want to I talk about what Paul is saying here, because up until now, you know, we talked about having your feet shod, about girding your waist with truth, about the breastplate of righteousness. We put it on, and those are things that we put on, and they usually hold up by themselves pretty well. 
once we put them on, once we secure them, they hold up pretty well. But right now, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the sword of the Spirit. Give me a minute. Now, I I looked for, I don't have a sword. How many have a sword at home? Eric, you have a sword? Matt has a sword? Wow, you guys got, people got swords. I don't have a sword. What I do have Rhonda, easy. It kind of, it, it's pretty dull. I can, it's, who wants to see how dull this is? Volunteer? No. Your sword of the spirit. The Bible talks about the, the word of God being a sword of the spirit. Where does this come from? Go to the next verse. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How many have your word with you this morning? How many have your word? Go ahead and raise it up in the air. How many have your word? And you got it on your phone, you got it on your iPad, you got they we have every opportunity today. On any device that we have to have the Word of God with us all the time. Amen? The Word of God, Bible says that it is a, that it is a, it is a sword. Sharper than any two-edged sword. I once heard it said this way, that it cuts going in, but heals coming out. That it cuts going in, but it heals coming out. It divides. Listen, this is a cool, I, I love this part. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What does that mean? That means when I get in the word of God, it's going to look inside me. It's going to look deep inside my soul. It's going to divide that which is of God and that which is not. It's going to divide. It's going to be a discerner of the thoughts and intents of my heart. If the thoughts and intents of your heart aren't right, guess what? It's time to start cutting away. I apologize. I don't want to hit anybody with a machete here. I'll keep it over. I'll keep it right in the middle here. Dale, come here. No. (laughs) It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Up until now, we've talked about things that you wear that hold themselves up. This is something you have to pick up and use. This is something that you can't just lay it at your side. Bryce, stand up. Come here, Bryce. Okay, so if Bryce is my enemy, follow me. What are you doing, me? Stay there. Stay there. All right. Bryce is my enemy. Come and try to get me. Come on. Come on, punch, punch me in the chest. Come on, not hard. Just. But, 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 Pastor David, you have your sword. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just. Well, I got my sword today. Can you believe this thing? You go to put it in your pocket. And, oh no! What, what, oh, it drops on the ground because I don't have it secured. 
I just put it, go ahead and try to attack me. Ugh. <laughs> I'm just, it's just resting at my side. But, how many of you know when I lift it up, how, how many of you know, come on, try to attack me. I dare you. I dare you to attack me. No? Sit down. Thank you. Give him a hand. It's something we got to take up, something we're required to raise. Just strapping it to our, to our side isn't going to do any good. Just letting it rest there isn't going to do any good. You have to pick up and use the word of God. You can't just carry Listen, I know plenty of p- people that just carry their Bible around with them. And sometimes they got the biggest Bibles of all. The biggest Bible. You're like, where'd you get that Bible? Just a massive Bible, and they carried around. I'm so holy, I have the word of the Lord. I have the word of the Lord, and I'm carrying it with me. And it's just resting there. It's just resting there. They haven't raised it, they haven't used it in years, but they got it at their side. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. There's people like that. They're just, it's just resting at their side. The Bible requires you to raise it up and use it. I like what the, the Gideons, the Gideon Bibles. How many know the, the Gideon Bibles? I like this. Let me make sure I find it here. In the introduction of every Gideon Bible, it says this. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, too, heaven is opened and the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given to you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. That is the word of the Lord. It will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. We've established what the sword is. And that's just one piece of our armor. And having spent just a very short time on this, I want to move on to the shield of faith. The shield of faith can be a, a little, you know, people can grab the concept of a sword. But sometimes it's the shield is a little bit more difficult to grab onto. Yes, it defends you, but how do we equate it to our spiritual fight? Hebrews 11, verse 1 says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
It is a substance. A substance, by the way, is tangible. It's something you can touch. It's something, it's not just an emotion. It's not just the, the fuzzy feelings. But it is an irrefutable truth. Substance is, is the reality of it is without question. That's what substance is. Romans 8, 24 says this. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. Remember this, hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Bryce, stand up. There is something behind my back. Pretend you didn't see me put it there. What are you hoping it is? You're hoping it's money. Well, it's not money. <laughs> He's hoping it's money, though. W were you hoping for some tissues? No? You look like you're going to cry. Just a little bit. No, he doesn't look like he's going to cry. Hope for some tissues. I hope for some tissues. You hope for some <laughs> tissues? What a coincidence. I have tissues right here. Here's my question. Do you have to hope for these anymore? They're right there. Do you have to hope? Listen, when you plant corn in July, when all, no, no, not that you plant it in July, but in July, when all the stalks are raised and you can see the corn on the stalk, do you have to hope for corn? Relax. Do you have to hope for corn when you see it? It's already there. Why, why would you have to hope for something if you already see it? Thank you, Bryce. He's going to be used again. It's okay. Paul makes a very clear, clear thing here. It's based on solid evidence. He makes the obvious but necessary point. You don't hope for something you already have. Faith requires trust. Faith requires you to take that leap. Faith requires you to jump a little bit. Faith always involves an element of trust. I want to read you a story very quickly. The story started in 1949. There was a 30-year-old named Bill. He was unaware that he was on the brink of being catapulted into worldwide fame. 1949, he was just on the cusp of being catapulted into worldwide fame. In his autobiography, he said it was, he felt as if he were being stretched on a rack. He found himself grappling with uncertainty, not over the existence of God or the divinity of Jesus, but over the fundamental issue of whether or not he could trust the word of God. The fundamental issue, can I trust the Bible? And he grappled with this. Felt as if he, were, he was being stretched on a rack. Pulling him towards God was a woman named Henrietta Mears, a bright and compassionate Christian educator who thoroughly understood modern, and she had a modern scholarship of the scriptures. But yanking him the other way was his friend Charles. Charles was also a preacher. Charles founded a church, became 1,200 members, 
big church, especially in that time. But things began gnawing away at Charles. He began to have questions, and instead of resisting those questions, he, he just invited them in. He began, to, he began to, to really take them into himself. He had questions, and he would go to his friend Bill, and he would say, hey, you can't believe this. Are you, are you really kidding me? Do you really believe the Bible? He had his friend Henrietta pulling him in one direction and his friend Charles pulling him in the other direction. He searched the scriptures for answers. He prayed and he pondered. Finally, on a moonlit night, everything came to a climax. He was gripping his Bible and he dropped to his knees and confessed that he couldn't answer some of the philosophical questions. He couldn't answer some of the psychological questions that Charles and others were raising. He wrote this. He said, this is Bill. I was trying to be on the level with God, but something remained unspoken. He wrote, at last the Holy Spirit freed me to say it. Father, I'm going to accept this word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions, to go beyond my intellectual doubts, and I believe that this is your inspired word. Rising from his knees with tears in his eyes, Bill said he sensed the power of God like he hadn't felt it for months. Don't be, don't be misled here. He said, not all my questions were answered but a major bridge had been crossed. In my heart, in my mind, I knew a spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and won. It was right after this that Bill was launched into national ministry. And you know him as Billy Graham. Billy Graham had struggled with his faith. There's going to be darts of the enemy that are continually thrown at you. Darts of the enemy that are continually thrown at you. What do you do when the darts come? Hold on a second. Well, oh... I had a craft day yesterday. <laughs> what do you do when the darts come? This is my shield, isn't it? Relax, Bobby. This is my shield. It will stop the darts of the enemy. How do I know it will stop them? Just a minute. Well, <laughs> oh, someone wants to volunteer now. <laughs> now that they see a little dart gun, now they want to volunteer. Becky, you want to volunteer? You're holding the shield. <laughs> All right.
She's holding that shield. Cover your heart. Cover your heart, someone said. What do you do when the fiery darts come at you? I was going to use Doug, but he's way up there. What do you do when the darts come at you? You have three options. Please act them out for me as I name them. If the enemy comes at you and shoots darts, you can run away. Come on back. You can run away. You can can lay down your shield and let them kill you. Or you can allow the substance of God to defend you. You can allow the substance of God. Listen, the fiery darts are going to come. The fiery darts are going to come. Hey, listen, there's going to be worry and fear and doubt and shame, right? These are the fiery darts of the enemy. You'll never be good enough to be used by God. Boy, that was a lame dart. Your past will always define your future. That was another lame dart of the enemy. I can't get <laughs> Hey, you're, listen, you're too old to serve. How many ever heard that one? That one hit. You're too, you're too young to serve. How many ever heard that one? You've heard that? Look at, she's ready, isn't she? I got two more. Be careful. <laughs> You'll never be good enough to be used by God. Your past will always define your future. These are the lies and darts of the enemy that try to mess you up. And what do you do when the fiery darts come at you? You lift up that shield. It was working this morning. Thank you, Becky. Have it. Give her a hand. Thank you. <laughs> Fiery darts will come. Worry, fear, doubt, and shame. I want to. I want to bring you to scripture here. Matthew four says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, or the devil, came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, or the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He was saying, Jesus, just throw yourself down. The angels will take care of you. Go to the next slide. And Jesus answered him and said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Listen, the darts are going to come. The darts are going to come. They came to Jesus. They're sure going to come to you. 
They're going to come inside your head. They're going to come and try to mess you up. They're going to come and try to mess up your faith and mess up your walk. You know that you're on a path and you are moving with what God's called you to do, and he will do everything he can to try to screw you up and trip you up. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. I like this. Listen to this. You can want, listen, the devil is, the devil's the attacker. He's going to attack you. The devil's the attacker. He's going to attack you. He's going to get a dart. There's a lot of visitors here. I don't want to hit somebody with a dart. (laughs) He's going to get a dart of worry and doubt and fear and shame. And he's going to go. Hope he's all right. He can handle it. Try to trip you up. Try to mess you up. What are you going to do in that instance? What are you going to do in that instance? When, when are we as Christians going to learn that I can whine? Oh, listen, hey, I can whine all I want. Oh, the devil's always picking on me. How many people ever heard that? Man, the devil's always going after me. And I can whine and I can complain. Devil, why are you always picking on me? And I can pout about it. I can just sit and... And that stinking devil. It's been it, this whole month, Eric. It's just been, I mean, what did, what did I do? We can do that. It's not going to make any difference. I can complain and whine and pout and moan about what the devil's been doing. But. He's just going to laugh and keep on shooting darts. Devil, why are you always picking on me? <laughs> Here's some more shame for you. Devil, why are you always being mean to me? <laughs> Here's some more doubt for you. Here's some more worry for your finances. Here's some more worry for your family. Here's some more worry about that sickness. Here's some more worry and shame and doubt and fear. It doesn't come by crying or complaining or whining or pouting. It only comes by the authority that you have in the word of God. Jesus said it this way. Away from me, Satan, for it is written. Listen to this. When you understand the authority you have by the word of the Lord, you will lift up your shield. You will lift up your sword. Listen to this. And you will shout at the devil, away from me, for it is written. Revelation 12.10, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accuse them before God day and night. He has been cast down. He is under your feet. Verse 11, and I love this part, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. How many people have a testimony this morning? How many people have a testimony this morning? He has no authority over you. 
He has no authority over you. You have authority over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And it's about time for Christians to start rising up and using the authority that God has given them in Jesus' name. It's time to use your sword. It's time to use your shield. Jenny, come on up. We talked about the armor of God. Satan will come and try to trip you up and mess you up, man. He will try to trip you up with worry and shame. There's some people here this morning, they, they didn't feel like they could lift their hands. They couldn't feel like they could sing songs because shame they feel in their life. I'm not worthy to lift my hands. I'm not worthy to raise my voice. Because they'll have the devil speaking in their ear. They'll have demons saying, don't you remember what you did this last week? Don't you remember when you were overcome with anger and you shouted those words at your wife? Don't you remember when you were overcome with anger and you shouted those words at your kids? You don't deserve to worship God. That is the kind of that is a kind of fiery dart that he will aim at you. Don't you remember what you did last week or last month or last year or 10 years ago? And he will continually try to bring shame up in your life. He will continually try to bring fears up in your life. You think God's your provider? Boy, that paycheck looked pretty slim this last week. How are you going to pay your bills? Oh, ye of little faith. He will use those things. He will use, those are the darts of the enemy. It is up to us to raise up our shield and raise up our sword. Not whining and complaining or pouting but using the authority that God has given you to raise up and say, for it is written, I have overcome you by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. You are defeated in Jesus' name. You are under my feet. You have no authority over me. We have authority over you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This is key to the whole thing, guys. This is key to the whole thing. In the name of Jesus. If you don't have Jesus ruling and reigning in your heart, you haven't begun to put on the armor. If you don't have Jesus ruling and reigning, listen, he died on a cross for your sins. I was dirty, disgusting, messed up, and sinful. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his mercy. But he died on a cross for you and for me. He shed his blood. I am now justified. What does that mean? It is justified, never sinned. 
He has washed me with his blood. Justified. That's a real easy way to remember it. It is justified, never sinned. My sin was tossed into an ocean of forgetfulness. But the enemy will continually try to bring it back up and mess you up. You may be here this morning. Say, Pastor David, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't have a relationship. I don't know what this cross is you're talking about. I've never asked Jesus Christ into my life. If everyone wants to just bow their heads and close their eyes, I want to give people some privacy. You may be here this morning and say, Pastor David, that's me. I have never asked Jesus into my heart. You may be in that camp. You may be in another camp. You may be in the place where you say, Pastor David, I had a relationship with God years ago, but I have backslidden. I have not, I have not followed Christ. I have not followed God. I have given into my own desires, my own wisdom. Every fiery dart of the enemy that comes, I just absorb it. I take it in. Pastor David, I'm afraid it's going to kill me. I'm here to tell you, it will kill you. If you need Jesus in your life right now, go ahead and raise your hand. You say, Pastor David, I need Jesus Christ in my life. Go ahead and put your hands down. Do me a favor. One more time, go ahead and put your hand up. I know you put your hand up just then, but go ahead and put your hand up right now. Go ahead and put them down. There was 10 hands that went up that need Jesus this morning. There was 10 hands that went up that need Jesus this morning. This is a very personal and intimate decision that you are making to follow the cross of Christ. That you are making to, to, to put on the shield of faith, to grab up the sword of the Spirit. You are getting ready to enter battle. And you are getting ready to start winning the battle in Jesus' name. Because up till now, you've been losing the battle. Let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, I renounce my sin. I renounce the enemy. He no longer has authority over me. Lord Jesus, I accept your sacrifice. I accept your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. I don't do this lightly, but God, I give you my everything. Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Rule and reign in my life. 
I submit to your authority that you would rule and reign over every aspect of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Someone give him a shout this morning. Ten hands went up. Ten hands went up. Listen, if, if, if you are one of those ten hands, if you're one of those ten hands, please see us afterwards. We want to connect with you. We want to encourage you. We want to lift you up. We want you to get, we want you to get grounded in your faith. Amen. Lord, I pray over each person here this morning. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that they would take up their shield of faith, that they would take up the sword of the Spirit. Lord, that they would have the that they would take the authority they have in Jesus' name and they would use it against the enemy. Lord, I pray that you bless them. Lord, I pray that you keep them. Lord, I pray that you cause your face to shine down upon them and that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody can stand. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.